John the Viking Mauser here with the Get Stronger Die podcast. Today, my guest is Paul the Titless Centaur Mauser. Uh, we have a lot to discuss. Hi, I'm John the Viking Mauser with the Get Stronger Die podcast. <laughs> That was that was pretty much what I said. Yeah. That, that's what you get for uh, lobbing an insult at me like a titless centaur. <laughs> I'll have you know my breasts are quite ample. <laughs> so uh, we have we have a lot to talk about, and most of them have to do with picking things up off of the floor, possibly off of the floor at eighteen inches. Why, why do we got to bring units of measurement into this? I have worked so hard through 10 years of marriage to convince my wife what 18 inches actually looks like. <laughs> and uh, she recently discovered um, a ruler and a tape measure. And long story short, now we're getting divorced. Would that, wouldn't that be a short short story? It, it, <laughs> was, an, it, it, was, uh, it was a story that was cut a tad short, yes. <laughs> As well, you know, um, I also, uh, I don't, I'm going to assume, because I haven't been there during the conversations, but I'm not sure that I appreciate you using the term freedom units when talking about your unit. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, I'm trying to free this unit all over the place. All right, let's get into some lifting stuff. John, damn it, we're not going to get into the deadliest of lifts yet, because quite frankly, uh, we have other things to discuss. Strongest man in the forest, all right? Listen, you won it. You did it. You took home first. How'd you do it? Tell me about it. <laughs> what, what, was, what did, what did uh, training look like going into this? Uh, how did you beat the class full of uh, gigantic mountain men that you were facing in the super heavyweights? Uh, and uh, what, what events, if any, surprised you in a negative or positive way? Give me the lowdown, man. Um, okay, so, well, I signed up, uh, I think the day it went live. Um, so, like, literally a year in advance, because I tend to open that one way in advance. As a matter of fact, if, if my life wasn't in total, absolute chaos right now, I would have 2020 open for registration already. It's coming. It's coming soon, folks. Don't worry. Yeah, um, it may or may not have said on the Strongman Corporation website that it was supposed to open the other night. <laughs> well, you know, you know the the good news and the very encouraging news is multiple people have now let me know that, which means that there are a lot of people waiting for this to happen. Uh, the bad news is I'm making them wait, um, and that's because there's just a lot of things going on outside of strong stuff with me and my life and all the craziness and wackiness that is my life right now. So uh, as soon as I can get caught up, I'm in the process of catching up. Launched a bunch of uh, roster updates and announcements today. And uh, yeah, the next step, the next step is getting those competitions uh, up and running on MauserPower.com. Uh, teams, uh, Queen City Strongest, Strongest Man in the Forest, those are all going to go up. And uh, uh, Summer Raid Weekend, uh, we'll, we'll be talking about that with, uh, with Jerry Handley soon as well. But... That is not what we're talking about. We're talking about you. We're talking about the big trophy. Um, you've been trying to win this thing since 2007, and uh, you finally did it. Yeah, so I signed up uh, like a year ago, um, and then basically, uh, probably not the whole year. I don't remember what month. Um, 
you know, I did like 9,000 competitions between then and now. Um, but at some point in that process, I kind of just, um, I lined up all my competitions, like made a list, um, not, not on paper cause I'm not that organized. It was in my head. And, uh, I figured out what had the carryover to what, because I, I don't train every event for these competitions. I know I don't, I just don't. Um, sometimes I'll do like a last minute, you know, like two weeks out, I'll do something, but a lot of times I don't even do that. Um, so I had figured out what had the most carryover and whenever there was any doubt, it was like, well, what's going to go towards Elkins. Right. So everything was kind of funneled towards that. And then, um, and, and a lot of it wasn't, um, event training. Like I didn't pull a single truck this past year. Um, I didn't, uh, <clears throat> I did one wheelbarrow simulation, uh, which as you know, probably did absolutely nothing. <laughs> it's just a good Instagram video, uh, because you can't simulate that. I mean, you know. There's no way to actually simulate that thing. Are, are uh, you trying to imply that you can't perfectly simulate a giant trailer full of uh, West Virginia lumber uh, in the gym? Is that what you're saying? No, I did it exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you actually chopped you chopped down your own trees. You built you built a road legal trailer with a license plate on it. You, you fashioned a handle <laughs> from steel. Even though, even though you're not a welder, not at all. You you actually bent the steel I to ma- to make the handle. And that's how I trained for the steel bending. Unbelievable, okay, guys! That 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 just speaks volume for for uh, extreme sports specific training, doesn't it? Yeah, and since you didn't, you wouldn't give out the dimensions because you won't give out dimensions. Um, I uh, I had the people on Reddit. They sent out drones and took pictures of the wheelbarrow, and uh, yeah. <laughs> He took to the Reddit, folks. He took to the Reddit. Um, so yeah, I didn't do any wheelbarrow, uh, and then uh, you know I did. I did actually do um, a fair amount of log press, and then uh, I did um, stones three times, <laughs> and then I did steel bending uh, twice leading up to that. But uh, you know the plans was to get stronger, not to get skillful. So. Uh, most of the training was was geared towards getting strong and and carryover stuff. You know, I did stuff that was similar to uh, stones and similar to uh, pushing the wheelbarrow. I did some farmers walks here and there and things like that, but <clears throat> nothing real sport specific. But everything was geared towards getting stronger for that event. And then probably two months out, I think about two months out, um, maybe a little bit longer. But uh, Rob Wolf came back, decided he was going to do. Uh, Halloween so he and I started training together and um, so I was training with him for probably uh, maybe six weeks leading up to this maybe a little less and then um, yeah so we were just focused on getting stronger and and I did some events you know like Halloween stuff that I wasn't planning on doing he did some forest festival stuff he wasn't like he bent steel one day I mean and then uh, you know that's kind of how we led into it but the big thing was he and I were squatting um twice a week easy during this whole thing man you covered a lot of ground there and there's a whole lot of things i want to touch on in there so don't um, touch me (laughs) no no inappropriate touching here um so strongest man in the forest the events were you mentioned the truck pull 
Okay, so we had truck pull, we had we had a max steel bar bending, um, we had the max log press, we had the the timber wagon carry, which is basically like the giant wheelbarrow uh, carry type of deal, um, and then we had the stone to shoulder for reps, which had a light option and a heavy option. Um, on on paper, uh, you know, obviously st steel bending. Anybody who anybody who has ever looked at your Instagram probably knows that's a, that's a you know reasonably good. Um, event for you that that's something that uh, you're pretty damn good at. Um, so so the fact that you didn't you know you didn't feel the need to constantly practice that uh, probably goes back some also to the fact that you're already pretty good at it. Mm -hmm. um, so some somebody that maybe was a rookie on that would probably be well advised to spend some more time right. than you did getting into that particular event because it's a whole different type of strength if you're not used to it. Your hands and your wrists, you have to build them up to do that. And most people most people think they have strong hands and wrists because they do strongman, but then they try to bend steel and find out they do not have as strong of hands <laughs> and wrists as they think they do. So... Um, <clears throat> Uh, the now the the wheelbarrow carries. They did a lot of farmers walks for that because farmers walks have a lot of carryover for general strength, and I agree a hundred percent. For for my money, if there was one, you know, if I only had to pick a couple of strongman events I could ever do for the rest of my life, I think a farmers walk is going to be on there because it just makes you strong in a lot of ways. And so, uh, you know, do it like you said, doing that over a period of time, that's going to have benefits beyond being speci as specific as possible for a specific style of event in a contest. Would you agree on that? Yeah, and I think it depends on your uh, the competition too. So, <clears throat> um, you know, I train uh, a lot of people, a lot of people that went to the Forest Festival. I can't remember how many. Oh, yeah, there was there was like <clears throat> half a dozen of your people that uh, that went to that contest, and I, I think – we all, I think, I think every one of them brought home. We podium, we all podiumed, yeah. Um, I know that Devin took first and some other people. Um, but anyways, uh, <clears throat> I think it depends on um, the competition a lot too, and and how much uh, like practice you've had with it. If you haven't had any practice with it, then I would probably start steel bending like maybe like six weeks out. Um, but it, it would also depend on the like if you were going to go to the steel bending championships in Michigan, <laughs> you should probably do more than six weeks if you've never done it before. But for Elkins, a lot of, a lot of the people just knowing going in, they weren't going to practice it. Um, and if they did, they didn't have, uh, like a mentor looking over them for it. So you didn't have to be, um, super technical and masterful with it. You just had to be kind of good at it. And, uh, and that doesn't take a long time if you have somebody, uh, walking you through it. Now, if you don't have somebody walking you through it and you're kind of figuring it out on your own, you're going to need more time. You know, so there's a lot of factors that go into that sort of thing. And this was a pretty, uh, pretty basic steel bending. This wasn't like, you know, I mean, there, you, you've been down the steel bending rabbit hole. There's a lot of complicated steel bending. This was pretty uh, bare bones and um, it wouldn't take too, too long to figure it out. But yeah, I'd say maybe six weeks for somebody that um, had no clue about bending things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're talking about uh, complicated bends. I'll tell you what what kicked my butt when we had we were lucky enough to have uh, Dennis Rogers come to uh, West Virginia a few years back. Our good friend uh, uh, Jim the Lionheart Bassnet he uh, he brought uh, Dennis Rogers in for a a, a weekend uh, training clinic, and he showed us uh, horseshoe bends, and I hurt 
for probably a month after that from doing those <laughs> horseshoe bends. And my ego also hurt very badly from trying horseshoe bends because it absolutely kicked my ass. <clears throat> well, if you talk to... Uh... <clears throat> I've never heard anybody dispute this. Um, I'm sure there would be some. But when anybody talks about the hardest things to bend, um, horseshoes always, I, I mean, I've probably seen a dozen different old-time strongmen or just straight-up steel benders say that, that horseshoes are the toughest bend. Well, they certainly were for me. So, uh, yeah, got my butt kicked a little bit on that. Back to Elkins. Um, so, you, so you had uh, pretty solid performances on every event, which, as you know, as uh, experienced people know, that's how you win contests is to be consistent across events. Uh, well, what if, except the log press. What, well, <laughs> well, we we can talk about that. But what? So what? What events do, do you do you feel like you performed uh, very well on, and what what uh, what events, if any, do you feel uh, like you didn't perform so well on, and how did you make up for that to take the overall? <clears throat> well, ironically, I would have liked to have bent the uh, the eighteen inch rebar in the. Uh, Competition, but I, I couldn't uh, pull it off that day. Um, <clears throat> I don't. I think that might. I think that was my second event. So I really don't have um, a, any excuse, really, not to have done it. But uh, it was really exceptionally difficult that day to bend the uh, 18 inch. And I think I've done that two other times before. Um, not this past year, but uh, Elkins previously, I think, and then one time at uh, Jim Bassnett's house, maybe I, I did that, but. Um, I would like so for, for those <clears throat> listen. What, what he's talking about is a half inch diameter piece of rebar cut to eighteen inches. Um, I, the most that anyone got in the contest was the twenty four inch length, the, the the two foot length of uh, half inch rebar, and I think there were I think there were only a few, uh, a very few um, number of guys who actually succeeded with that. Yeah, and this was a the eighteen inch, and I think the other ones too were a uh, a pretty high grade um, rebar. Uh, there's definitely different um, difficulty levels there. At least two that I know of. This is one of the harder ones. It was a tough bend, but I yeah, I still won that event because I had the fastest time with the bar before that. Um, but I wanted to do I would have I had to do the eighteen, so I wanted I wanted to uh, get it, but I didn't. But I still won that event. Um, the log press I was a little disappointed with, but the the irony is I'm usually so uh, <clears throat> I just have bad I don't want to call it luck, but bad mojo with the log in competitions anyway. So when I didn't do too well, it wasn't it was kind of like oh well, and it was the first event, so I knew I had four more events, so it wasn't huge mental whatever. Um, you just wa- walk it off, and and you you can come back from one bad event. That's not a big deal. Yeah, and and. Uh He's talked about the bad mojo, and so I, I didn't get to see um, your lift firsthand because I, I was judging the steel bending, I think, while you were on the log press. And uh, I, I just kind of looked over and caught, and caught it just in time. I didn't get a great view of it, but uh, I saw the video later, and you had the lift but were too lightheaded and almost passed out and crumbled under, almost crumbled under the log, it looked like. <laughs> yeah, and that's uh, that's kind of the bad mojo he, he's talking about, folks. Is he he couldn't have possibly been any closer to getting a down signal without actually getting it. So that had, I mean, I know you said you didn't sweat it too much, but it had to be a little frustrating. Yeah, and and then I couldn't. Uh, I was like 
my, my legs were wobbly. Um, I couldn't pull it together enough to, uh, to attempt it again. I, I cleaned it again, but like my legs were like jello. So yeah, there was no, uh, there was no launch to, uh, and there was no way I was strict pressing that. So yeah, and you you only have thirty seconds for, at Forest Festival. I believe was thirty second. Uh, yeah, it wasn't much time. time. So I, that that's not if if you you know if you get to that point where you're lightheaded and you're going you know you you you, you know you lose your legs and all that, thirty seconds is not enough time to get right. that back and to, and, to, and and to redo it. So um, yeah, I was actually surprised I cleaned it the second time, but uh, it went up and I, I gave it one more like pathetic attempt and, and then called it a day. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so I think I, I probably got last. I didn't zero that event because I did the log before, but I got last in that, and then I went to the steel bending and got first in that. So in theory, that puts me middle of the pack at that point. Mm. Um, and then uh, after steel bending, we went to uh, stone to shoulder, and um, I knew that was my event. Um, I didn't know some of the other people in the class, and and I don't look at the rosters beforehand, so like. Sometimes when I'm in a competition, I don't even know who was in my class. I just don't, I don't really care about that. But I knew Jake King was in it because there was some uh, banter between us back and forth going into this. Um, and uh, I knew that he, in my mind, was the guy to beat you know, on the uh, stone to shoulder, although that could have been not the case because I didn't know who else was in the class. Yeah, because I, I, I um, think Jake may have a state, state record stone to shoulder that he actually took from you, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, we don't um, discuss that. Oh, okay. Well, 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 <laughs> but, but just just ignore what you heard. Ignore what you heard there. Um, don't don't look at the records on MauserPower.com. Uh, so we went and um, we had like two stone options. There's a light stone, a heavy stone. The heavy one was like three three hundred, and it was the full uh, the full big diameter monster stone. Mm-hmm. Um, which I don't know that I've ever shouldered a stone of that diameter. So I was a little worried about that, but I knew if Jake did it, that I'd have to do it in order to uh, make up ground there. But he actually didn't um, get that stone. He went to the lighter one and did some reps at that point. I knew, so I just went for the lighter one. Um, I did uh, four, I think for the, I I think it was, I think it was four to win. Yeah. Um, Four reps for the win. Uh, And and they were, they were very easy reps. I, I took my time with it. And um, so I was really, uh, I, I don't know that I could have done the 300, but if that day I would have had the best shot of doing that stone, I think, because I, I felt really good on the stone to shoulder. Um, so that got me another first place. <clears throat> so that bumped me up, um, you know, into the podium position probably. Just uh, a little inter- intermission here. So when, when we're talking about these stones, th- this was um, contested in classic Mauser style, which meant no rubber clothing at all no rubber gauntlets no sticky stuff of any sort whatsoever um and I, I know that's i know that's a foreign concept to a lot of folks um but yeah there's literally nothing sticky allowed whatsoever <laughs> to what uh, to lift these stones so when he when he's talking about a 300 pound stone um for heavyweights you might be thinking well gee that doesn't sound that heavy go ahead and try it <laughs> now i have been eating uh, a lot of cheetos between events and I had the orange cheesy fingers, and I think that was the key to victory. Orange cheesy. Well, now we got Cheesegate. <laughs> we, got, we have Cheesegate 2019 here, folks. We have an, we have an, an admission of guilt. We're going to have to investigate this. We may have to rescind or retract 
John, John's uh, first place trophy from the Forest Festival. I am going to bring in the Cheetos. Uh, what is this? He? Uh, what is he? Chester Cheeto. Cheddar, Chester Cheeto as my my uh, my witness. <laughs> Your star witness. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I got first in the stones, and then we went to the truck pull, and I knew the truck pull. Um, was like a great event for me, so I knew like <clears throat> I knew I was placing um, very well in that event. Um, I ended up getting second place. Jake got me by like two seconds or something on that event, or maybe one second. It was very. It, it may have been less than a second. It he. I mean, he marginally um, inched me out on that one. So I got second place there, and then uh, Jake actually told me he said if uh, if you win the next event, you'll win overall. Because, again, I actually don't keep track of uh, my points usually during a competition. Um, no, is that something that you recommend for everyone, or is that just a personal choice of you just don't want to know? <clears throat> I think it depends on the person and their mentality because some people can, if they're, they worry so much about that, they forget to, like, lift stuff. <laughs> um, <laughs> they're, they're so worried about hounding the scorekeepers that they, they forget to perform on the next event yeah yeah or or it can it can cause performance anxiety or they're so worried like oh i have to i have to place here i have to get this many points on the next event that can screw people up you know um, i think if probably if you have the mentality and you are itching to know you're probably the person that doesn't need to know but if you're kind of like me and you don't really care it probably be beneficial to you to know. <laughs> so, yeah. um, just as a general rule, but yeah, I, I just, uh, you know, I, I don't really care. Now I think too, it depends on your level. Obviously if you're a pro and there's money on the line, you should probably be, um, you know, paying attention to that sort of stuff, but I'm just there trying to do my best and I don't really care. Uh, I, I mean, if, if knowing isn't going to affect me, you know, like if, if you say, Hey, you have to win this event well, I was planning on trying that anyway. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> so it's not going to affect me at all. But what, what if, uh, you know, what if you come to the last event, you have a massive points lead and you don't really need to do much on that event. Um, are you the type of person that's going to go out there and do your best on that event anyway? Or, or if you knew the point spread and you knew that you could just phone it in, would you phone it in? Um, if it was like a heavy yoke, I might phone it in. <laughs> but uh, Damn yoke. other 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 than that, I'm probably just going, I'm going to go for it. You know, I mean, there's no uh, no point not to. I paid the entry fee. I'm there. I've eaten a lot of pop tarts that day. I'm ready. To, <laughs> I'm ready to go. <laughs> you know, and it's interesting that you say that because I'm the same way. Uh, I you know I go to a contest and um, I like doing strongman. I enjoy doing the events. It's it's something I've liked, you know, we've liked since, like, the late 90s. You know, it's it's been a part of our lives for a long time, um, doing this random. When, when we went to a high school parking lot, lifting kegs and carrying uh, gas cans full of sand for farmer's walks and stuff. And I, I, think, I think that's the difference um, in some folks. I'm not, I'm not saying some folks don't like it, but I, I think some people like competing and sports more than they like strongman. Right. So they have a, they have a competing and sports mentality versus a strongman mentality. Whereas I just like doing this shit. So even, even if I don't necessarily have to do an event, as long as I'm not injured, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it to the best of my ability because by God, I like doing it. Are there points when you're not injured? 
<laughs> John, I haven't been healthy since 97. <laughs> Just so we're clear. <laughs> some, some of the people listening to this had not yet been born the last time I was healthy, I think. Pro, pro wrestling ruined my body. Let, let, let it be heard. <laughs> so, yeah, I took, I took second in the, the truck pull and then um, went into what on paper was probably my worst event was the wagon uh, uh, push carry. Now, why, why would you say that's your worst event? Because um, the grip aspect of that, you know, it, it was a strapless carry. You knew you I mean, obviously the grip's not going to be an issue for you. Um, you know, you, you, don't, you don't tend to have... Uh, any any lower body issue, hamstring and glute issues on carrying events, et cetera, et cetera. What, why do you think that would have been <clears throat> a bad event for you? Uh, well, just traditionally, I remember um, the last few years that that uh, well, first first of all, uh, there was a year at teams with that thing, and we had to do a uh, push carry on that, and it was like loaded or whatever, um, and it got heavier as you went, or maybe that year it didn't get heavier as you went. I don't remember. But anyway, um, I was selected on the team to push carry this thing, and um, uh, it, it, I didn't, we didn't win that event. <laughs> I, mean, I moved it, but it wasn't a great showing. And then um, in Elkins, um, I think both years previous to this, uh, it was like a deadlift thing, progressive uh, deadlift. And I, I think, I might be wrong, I think the, two years ago I zeroed the event. And then the next year, I think I got one rep. <laughs> so, so there was some concern as to whether I'd even be able to uh, pick it up to carry it or whatever. Um, but now, granted, I worked on that throughout the year. Like, again, everything was focused towards that. So even though I wasn't picking up a wheelbarrow or a wagon and I didn't do a lot of... Um, I didn't do a lot of neutral grip deadlifting type stuff, but we did, um, because there was a frame deadlift at Halloween and I was training with Rob Wolf, we did frame deadlift twice um, in that six weeks. So I did do a couple of neutral grip kind of things, and um, I think all that really paid off in the squatting twice twice a week, box squats and all that paid off a lot. But uh, on paper, just from previous performances, this, this was a pretty iffy event going in. <laughs> and, I, and I don't think it was... I don't, I don't know. This probably sound bad, but like I wasn't concerned about the grip, but I also don't think that the size of those handles, that that's a grip event. If people were having grip problems on that event, they have bigger issues. Yeah. And that, that's something uh, that, that, you know, we've talked about before is that what, what a lot of people would consider um, a grip heavy event or a grip heavy contest. A lot of times actually isn't. It's just the fact that a lot of people, have sort of become, especially like around 2017, um, the, just the strongman world in general was like, we're not going to do any grip stuff whatsoever and straps on everything and, you know, stra straps on frames, straps on farmers, blah, blah, blah. They just, almost, I mean, the, the entire sport almost took grip completely out of it. Yeah. And we're, we're over here like, uh, what the hell's going on? And so then you know, I, I think that had a trickle-down effect to where a lot of people were like, Oh yeah, a, uh, a a wheelbarrow carry or a frame carry, for example, is a grip event, and you know, again, not not to sound like a jerk here, 
But if you think that those are grip events, that means you need to improve your grip. Yeah, for sure. I, I think it might be wrong, but I think it was Jed Johnson and I were talking uh, when I first <clears throat> uh, hired him for grip and did my first grip grip sport competition or arm lifting, whatever it was. Um, <clears throat> and, um, you know, he was like, oh, yeah, you'll do pretty good because you do strongman. Now, Jed hasn't done strongman in years, you know, so he's like the old school, right? Mm -hmm. And he was saying how, like, just from doing farmers and axles, a lot of strongman can come into grip sport and do do well on, like, certain uh, grip events. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe not like the pinch grips and some of the crazier stuff. But he's like, yeah, they can come in and they have this crazy strength about them that, and they can even hang with, like, the top people in certain events, like a double overhand axle or whatever. Um, and... Uh, and I think that like a strong man should be able to do that. A strong man should be able to go um, like like I have done in the last couple of years, go to almost any other sport that requires any amount of strength and do well. And um, I think right now, like you said, from 2017, there's a lot of strong men that um, could not do well in arm lifting or grip sport. And, and uh, I think that that's a huge disservice to them. Well, it's turned back around. I will say it has turned back around. 2018, 2019, <laughs> things started to turn back around. More grip events started to pop up. Um, you know, it, it, there were contests. You know, I'd, I'd see contests pop up everywhere where, where they were actually having double overhand axle deads, rolling thunders, you know, uh, back back to carrying events without straps. Um, you know, things like that where, where they kind of brought the hands back into it. Uh Arm over arm pulls with a th with a thick ass rope, um, th things that made people you know really get back to saying okay I've got to I've got to actually use my hands now. Right. Um, but I, I still think there's um, for a lot of people they're still missing a lot of that stuff because there's such a big uh, emphasis on like straps on regular not axle like regular deadlifts mm -hmm. and so many people are using deadlift bars now and. That takes away a lot of your grip stuff. If like just talking to um, Brooke Sosa, I mean, she straight up was like, "Yeah, I don't do any grip specific stuff anymore. I just, I just don't deadlift with straps, and then I win the grip events." And and that's a huge thing. And you know, the old time, the not even old time, but like strongmen, like you know, fifteen years ago, twenty years ago, their deadlift bars weren't used everywhere. And you deadlifted your axles without straps. You deadlifted your regular bars without straps, and there was a certain amount of grip strength that came from that. And, and even now, the people that might be doing frame carries without straps and this sort of thing, they're probably still deadlifting with straps. They're probably still using a deadlift bar. And um, a lot of people don't realize the deadlift bar bends and it makes the deadlift itself easier, but that also makes the grip easier. Well, it's also a smaller diameter and has more aggressive knurling. Yeah, so you have a smaller diameter than knurling and the bend in the bar. Now, granted, depending on how much weight you're using, but if the bar bends, the bar can't roll, which means it can't fight your fingers as well. So you're not getting the grip out of it <clears throat> that you would. And, um, and then you can go down a whole rabbit hole, right? Like if you're using the straps, you may not be using your lats as well on the deadlift. And you're not getting radiant tension and that travels into the arm. And there's a whole bunch of stuff going on there. But I think that a lot of modern, uh, I'll say modern, but like today's strongmen are, are losing out on a lot of grip strength because of the deadlift and the straps and all that. Right, that that uh, that that over overly sports specific mentality of practice how you play every set every rep kind of deal. I think a lot of people are missing out on a lot of gains because of an 
overemphasis on that mentality uh, versus an emphasis on overall strength and progression. Yeah, and they're, they're usually the fallback is they'll blame it. You know, I don't want a bicep or whatever. And it's like, well, why don't you do something to minimize that risk other than just avoiding that altogether? You know. Well, yeah, but when you ask that question, no one knows the no one knows how. And this is something that uh, a former podcast guest uh, James Fuller has talked about in his Strongman Archaeology group is that. Uh, People just don't know what to do to to curb the epidemic of of biceps tears, and uh, I used that I used that uh, line there purposefully because I wrote an article some years ago called "Curbing the Epidemic about Bicep Tears and Strongman," and 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 how to deal with that. <clears throat> yeah, so you know. Uh people should start you know maybe looking back and, and doing some of the things the other way and, and then do the research and learn how to to, to curb these um these bicep uh, injuries you know I, I think one of the problems is people say well how do i not tear my bicep or whatever what's well, the same way you don't tear a hamstring or the same way you don't you just got to figure out how those principles apply to the bicep you know like make sure you know if you can't bend over and touch your toes guess probably you're going to tear a hamstring that's a possibility pretty likely um so what do you do to the hamstring you stretch it out well stretch out your bicep right i mean these things are pretty uh pretty um obvious and then if if you think about well what's the best way to stretch the hamstrings and do this and that and a lot of uh louis simmons talks about the best way to gain flexibility and mobility is like weight training so stretching with a weight, use some sort of weighted thing to stretch. And the old-time lifts, that's, they're great for that. I mean, they're perfect for that sort of thing. So just figure out a way to load some sort of bicep stretch. Um, you know, moderately, obviously, you're not trying to max out on your bicep stretch because then guess what? That, that's why it tears in the first place. So submaximal weighted stretching of the, of the bicep and doing things to take it through a full range of motion. You know, um, James Fuller talks about like the curl bar. It's it's great because it's comfortable, but it it kind of it it prevents you from being in a stretched bicep position, and it, it's just one more thing uh, mitigating um, your mobility and in, in, uh, the stretching of the bicep. So sometimes you might have to bite the bullet and curl with a straight bar. How the hell did we get to talking about biceps when we were talking about you winning the Forest Festival? Because it was these big biceps that won the Forest Festival. Strongest biceps in the forest. He's got the largest arms in the forest. <clears throat> so um, anyway, the wheelbarrow was uh, on paper a bad event for me. <clears throat> um, and I watched, I think, uh, Chris uh, Leisure. Um, New log press record holder. Um, he destroyed that event. I mean, he made the rest of us look pretty bad. Um, so he, he's, I think he's the only super heavy that finished the course as well. And um, <clears throat> so he went, and then, um, you know, I signed up first, so I had the luxury of watching everybody go. So they all went. <clears throat> I knew where I had to go to um, to win or well, to get second place, and, um, and I did it. I made it. I picked it up. Um, it was surprisingly uh, easy to pick up. I thought that would be, like, the hard part gutting out the walk would have been easy for me but um that was pretty easy but the the whole thing fights you like two angry bulls <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and uh that was actually the hard part and then there was a hill for the first 15 feet or 10 feet or so and um that was that was difficult to push the thing 
Um, so I actually, I pushed it to the top of the hill and stopped to take a breather. Um, and that was, that was strategic. That wasn't a, uh, oh no, you know? Um, and then I picked it up and I took it, uh, on the second pickup, I took it far enough to, uh, to get second place or whatever. But, um, yeah, all the training paid off on the pit. The, the lifting, it was rather, uh, easy pushing. It was the hard part. And, um, yeah, I didn't finish the course, but I got second place. Well, it was like a 1,500-pound <laughs> wheelbarrow, so I can imagine the pushing yes. was not the easiest thing in the world. Yeah, and the wheels sink down, and it, it was tough. It was on pavement, uneven ground, and this thing's kind of... Um, oh, yeah, and there's, there, was a, a, there was a small incline at the beginning there till you got over the, uh, uh, the edge of it to the flat part, so... <laughs> Yeah, it was tough, but that, but then that was a, so I had a last place, a first place, a first place, a second place, and a second place. And, um, and I don't know how far ahead of second place I was, but I ended up getting first place, and um, that was that. Hey, let's talk about the, uh, not specifically about the wheelbarrow event, but we're going to use a few elements of the wheelbarrow event to, to talk about difficulty, okay? A lot of people are fixated on weight in events. It's weight, weight, weight. What's it weigh? What's it weigh? What's it weigh? As a matter of fact, you you just recently did a bent press with a motorcycle, a one a one handed side style press with a motorcycle, and you know um, amongst the fifteen hundred comments on there, you have you have somebody going, "Hey, what's it weigh?" Because people get fixated on numbers instead of instead of going, "Holy shit, he pressed a motorcycle. That's got to be incredibly difficult because that thing is not." designed to be lifted like a dumbbell is they're trying to compare it to something in the gym so when you have this um when you have this wheelbarrow event okay uh it is a timber wagon is what it is so this is an actual trailer like i hook this to my truck and haul it down the road full of equipment okay it's a road legal trailer i had a handle fashioned for it that uh attaches to you know the, the trailer hitch portion there um and and then of course you're you're doing that you're doing that in a parking lot. There's there's a little bit of an incline at the beginning of the course, etc. There are so many other factors that make that difficult beyond the massive amount of weight. There's so many other factors, and but some some people you know in this day and age, some people cannot get past the numbers. It's not all about the numbers. As a, lot, a lot of times the numbers don't mean shit. Right. <clears throat> Yeah, I think people get this one-track mind where, like, so the numbers matter, like, sometimes, and the difficulty matters sometimes, and then it's, like, a combination of the two that matters. And um, when we get into this deadlift thing later, it'll that'll make a little more sense. But, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's like the whole thing weighed 1,500 pounds. Um, I don't know how much I actually lifted. You know, there's, like, a leverage game there. I have no clue. No, no idea. It was it was um, it was at least six hundred pounds from from all the testing we did because I I actually do take a lot of time and, and go out there and and test this thing out. I take a scale and I actually what I actually do take a scale out there and calibrate the logs. I I label the logs to know how much they add to the handles. Yeah, that that that's the links that I go through for this event so that we know what you have in hand. Yeah. Uh, on the event, but that's and more pe- useful pe- for, for you than them. Yeah, but pe- people don't know that. People don't know that I actually do that. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I don't. I it doesn't matter to me. But um, yeah, so six hundred pounds in hand or whatever, and 
it, it, it was regardless. I picked up a wagon and pushed it up a hill. It didn't really matter. It's not like I was going to go, well, 600 pounds, I guess I'm just going to sit over here. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to grab the thing and, you know, it, it, it's either gone or it's not. And it's going this fast or not that fast. And, I, yeah, I, the weight doesn't matter. You have to, you're going out there to do it anyway. Like, if, if it was 30 pounds, am I going to go, well, that's too light. I'm not going to waste my time, Paul. No, I'm going to run across <laughs> the parking lot with it. But, if it was, you know, if it was legitimately 1,500 pounds, I guess I'm going to pull my arms off trying to do this thing. I don't care. Well, I think the, the mistake a lot of people would make is if it was a – you know, if it was a 300-pound wheelbarrow, which would be, you know, theoretically very easy for the super heavyweights, um, you know, they would only ever train with 300 pounds with this with this modern mindset, right? Because they'd be they'd be so worried about being sports specific, they'd be training like this super light event, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's over and over and over for 12 weeks instead of actually doing something that's going to help their progress and help them get stronger. Right. They'd be too focused on doing the exact event over and over and over for three months straight, at which point they're doing themselves a disservice because they're not actually focusing on getting stronger. And then somebody who has been focusing on getting stronger probably shows up and beats them on that event. Right. Which happened. Um, <laughs> so, so, but... But, you know, something people don't think about, too, is like, you know, you measured the, the weight in hand, and it was 600 pounds. But where did you measure that? I mean, it, it's still pretty iffy because, like, there was a hill at the beginning. Right. So the angle changed. So the first lift may have been... Might have been 650, 700 pounds. Who knows what it was. Because, I mean, because I like, yeah, you're, you're exactly right, because it was actually tilted downward towards you at the beginning right. of course yeah so it was more difficult the push was more difficult you know i mean how are you so you how are you supposed to train for that you, you would spend all day setting up to train for that when you could have been doing something to get stronger you would need a and, team of engineers and, yeah. and an advanced uh engineering computer uh software and, and then when it got to flat ground where you knew it was 600 it might have been 600 it was 600 but but how much did you blow your load getting to that point to where it was 600? So difficulty-wise, it's more than 600 by the time it gets to 600. Yeah, yeah, absolutely agreed. And, and let's talk about that handle. You know, like I said, this is a trailer. This is a wagon. This is something that we, you know, I, I, had, I had a handle welded in a shop for to hook to, hook to a trailer hitch, right? And, and uh, you know, that... This is not something that was mass produced by uh, Elico, you know, that is a calibrated barbell that is specifically designed to allow you to lift the most weight possible, have the perfect bearings in the sleeves, be completely balanced across the board. This is a handle that we fashioned to a wagon. <laughs> so, you know, so, some folks may or may not have been surprised by how that felt when they picked it up. But this is this was more similar to farm work than it right. was to something you would do in the gym, right. and that's kind of the essence of strongman. Yeah, I think it's it's like a, you know, it's kind of like a, a like a bamboo bar, right? But although a bamboo bar is like pretty far extreme on one end, but you know, it's like wobbly and it's like fighting you, and you can't use as much weight as you normally could. And this wagon was like that. Not not to that much, not to that extent, but yeah. I would say it was. I would say it was ten percent harder than if you had had some super solid, 
mass-produced piece of equipment that, that Rogue had put together and went out there and did it, the difficulty level was probably 10%. So if you put 600 on the Rogue one and 600 on this one, or you know, or 1,500 and it was 600 in hand, and you had people race, the majority of people would win the race using the Rogue wagon. And and that makes you know that makes it different. But I don't I don't. It, the, the weight doesn't doesn't matter to me at the end of the day. It's you know there's a wagon there and we got to move it across the room and that's you know you do it or you don't. Right. Yeah. It was it was a timber wagon carry. That the idea was to carry a wagon loaded with logs across uh, down down a course and that's what y'all did and it was freaking awesome and uh, I saw a lot of folks putting up a lot of cool pictures of that event, which yeah, is, which is really. One of the reasons I keep bringing that thing back, even though it's a terrible pain in my ass as a promoter, is because the pictures are so cool. <laughs> yeah, it was cool. Um, so anyway, I got second place there, won, won the class, and uh, and then that was that, and competed a month later. A month later, yeah. So you, you just did, uh, Bar our buddy Barrett Young just did his contest um, out in Maryland at part of the Vikings Con event. His event was called the Full Sturker, I believe. Yeah. Um, and uh, you, you went out and did that one. There was a javelin throw. There was a very unique yoke carry that was a uh, the Viking mast simulation with a giant log across your shoulders. Um, what what else am I missing here? There was a there was a a deadlift that he made a, a big. It was almost like a car deadlift type of deal, like a front bar car dead. But it was loaded with logs to look really cool. And yeah, it was like the wagon um, deadlift, but with a, uh, like a straight bar instead of a neutral grip and, and a little bit lower. Um, <clears throat> yeah, and then there was um, a real log finger finger series. Um, there was a, a natural stone carry and load to Denny stone carry. Um, so you're talking about one, one event together. You carry, carried a natural stone, loaded it, went back, and grabbed a pair of uh, Denny Stone-style yeah. stones and carried them. Yeah, and they were legit Denny Stones. Like he, he built them just like John Oka does in Hawaii, does the replicas. And then there was a progressive um, uh, <laughs> sled pull um, where— Like arm over arm. Uh, yes, um, and you could stand, sit, whatever you wanted to do. Um, and uh, it was like there was multiple sleds connected. So you would pull one until a certain amount of slack came out of the ropes. And then the next sled would start to go. And at some point it would pull the next sled. I think there was six, six sleds together. And each one weighed like, I don't remember, like 80 pounds, 100 pounds, something. Um, they were actually loaded with these uh, concrete blocks. It looked like Barrett had made. And he had a hole in them for, to put on the loading pin. So there were these cool wooden sleds with bricks, essentially. So it was cool looking. Um, yeah. So that really unique, really cool event list out there. Barrett does a lot of stuff like that. I, I, I love the, the spirit of, of what he's doing out there. Um, this contest did not go your way. Uh, <laughs> so we're talking about a, a month ago, you went ahead and just whooped up on everybody at uh, Strongest Man in the Forest. Uh, a month a month later, you have a showing that is is not what you wanted. And uh, what 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 happened there? Tell me about that. Uh, well, um, I had a finger injury that that cost me uh, a one event. But um, well, there was a uh, wait 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 wait. You had a finger injury like Eddie Hall. <laughs> yeah yeah. Ended where, my ended where, my career. <laughs> where was the media? Where was the media, man? 
<laughs> My lord, we should we should have called the president about that finger. <laughs> um, so the first event was like the wagon car deadlift thing, and um, I actually ended up zeroing uh, that event um, just because de- the deadlift is always a poor event. And then um, we had the natural stone carry and load, uh, which they actually nixed for the super heavies. We just had to load it. They they moved it clear up to the thing. We didn't have to carry it. And then you ran back and got the Denny stones. Um, but none of us loaded the stone. I, I came the closest, but nobody was able to actually get this giant 320-pound uh, stone. No no tacky or I anything. I think it was more like 350 from what he told me. <laughs> well, whatever it was, it was, it, it was heavy, but it was also a, a super um, awkward shape. And uh, you, you only had a minute. So, uh, and I say you only had a minute because... Um, when you go to like, and I just recently found this out, when you go to like a Stones of Strength competition, like an All Stones event with the Natural Stones, um, a lot of their events you get three minutes or more. So, <clears throat> because you have to figure out how to, uh, in the stone lifting community, they want you to figure out how to lift the thing, right? Uh, you had a minute here, and, and, and it was heavy, so it took the solid 20, 30 seconds for anybody to lap it. So you only had 30 seconds to figure out how to like twist this thing around and it's just digging into you and crushing you and you just don't want to be there and, and all that. It was hard. It was super hard. And um, so I got the uh, I got the thing. It, it hit the top edge of the platform, but I couldn't seal the deal. So we all zeroed that event. So then uh, we, they just had us do the Denny Stones instead. They were like, okay, we're just going to redo and everybody can do the Denny Stones and that's the event now. And um, I got last on the Denny Stones. Uh, the guy couldn't hold on to the thing with my uh, left hand. So yeah, that, that's <clears> unfortunate because <throat> normally, normally that would be a, a really good event for you, um, as evidenced by the last time you did such an event at the Viking Highlander, I believe. Uh, I, I, or am, am I thinking correctly here? Yeah, I, I won the uh, Denny Hold. At the, it wasn't a walk; it was a hold at the Viking Highlander. Right, but it was it was the same deal. It was it was it was, yeah, the, it was, it was the, the the actual Denny style ring handles. Yes. Uh, I think there it was attached to Mauser blocks. Here right. it was attached to stones. Um, so tr- traditionally, uh, based on previous performances, of a strong event for you. But then with uh, with, with the Eddie Hall style finger injury <laughs> that for some reason the American media didn't cover, um, that uh, that just did not go your way. What Rolo was there from the Vikings show, Clive uh, Standen, I think is his name. Um, he was in attendance. I think the media was too busy uh, with him to worry about my finger. Uh, unfortunate. Uh, Very unfortunate. I probably made it into um, uh, The Sun or one of those uh, black and white. Uh, the National Enquirer. Yes. Yeah. The Weekly World um, News. <laughs> uh, so then after the Stone event, we went to... Uh, I think we did the javelin after that, I think. And then uh, I had not practiced a javelin at all for this. So that was not the game plan. Um, I had um, a, a guy was uh, going to make me two javelins to practice with. Um, it fell through, never happened. Um, no javelin practice. Uh, not, not that I necessarily needed it, but it would have been nice. Um, I think I got next to last in this event. Um, which was surprising because I thought I went in thinking like, oh well, I'm going to smoke these guys on the javelin just because of all the crazy stuff I do and have done. <laughs> um, but the javelin throw turned out to be very hard. 
uh, my accuracy was really good. <laughs> I could throw really straight, and it kind of landed how it should, but uh, the distance just wasn't there to uh, to get the win. Um, and then we took a hiatus because um, the groups went through three events. There was like a 15-minute intermission, and then we did the next three events. We came back to the Fingal Finger, um, and I got second place, I think, on the Fingal Finger because only two of us uh, was able to get the biggest Fingal Finger over. And nice. it, was, it was like a deal where they had a series, and you could get points for any, but if you did the heavier one, you trumped any lighter ones. So I just went, ran right over and did the heaviest one and uh, knocked it over and um, uh, got second place there and then went on to the way uh the sled carry or drag and i got second place there so you started to make a comeback in the second you know after after a somewhat disastrous first half first three events you were making a comeback with a couple second places consecutively uh yeah i'm pretty sure i got second in both of those and then um we were going into the yoke carry, which was the only event I trained for specifically for this event. Cause I, I don't do yoke ever. So I knew that, um, like it wasn't anything like, Oh, I have to do this to do well. It, like, wasn't that it was just like, I haven't done a yoke carry, like seriously put weight on my back and done a yoke carry in the gym. And since probably when Robert Oberst and um, Kale Beck was here for a seminar five years ago. Yeah, that was so, 2014. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I, I just, I, I don't like it. But um, anyway, so I, I practiced that uh, once before the competition. And I had a crazy, I even did the whole setup and everything. But that was mostly for the gram. That wasn't for some <laughs> sports specific bullshit or whatever. And then, um, but we actually ran out of time. Uh, there was, um, uh, that was the same, uh, that was the weekend after, no, it was the same week of the, the time change. So it got dark early, right? Oh, yeah. And um, the competition ran, and then it got dark early, and then the peep, the, the, uh, the, the venue, basically, the lights went out. They had these outside lights. They went out at some point. Um, and, and then they just called it. So uh, I think every group but mine got to do the yoke, but it was just too dark, and they were like, okay, we're not going to do it. So I actually didn't get to do um, the yoke event. And uh, and then um, so we the scores were all tallied from the five events that I did do, um, and uh, that was that. And I ended up in last place. <laughs> yeah, not not, so. a, not not a great place to be. Not a good, I mean, talk about the highs and lows. Um you know, going going from uh, a, a month ago beating a class full of killers um, at the uh, at, at the Forest Festival to uh, having a not so great day at the Viking Con. Um, so a l- little bit of ups and downs here. You got anything else coming up uh, to, to finish the year here? You got any more any, any sumo tournaments coming up? Any arm wrestling tournaments coming up? What do you got? No, I'm running right of passage into uh, well, it's the November thirtieth. So the last weekend of November, first weekend of December. No, is this is this go, are you going to release this podcast before Rite of Passage? I I don't know when this is going to be released, folks. <laughs> um, this won't be. Um, this will be next weekend. Okay, so this will come out Friday. Okay, awesome. So we're, yeah, we're we're recording this on uh, Saturday. This is going to come out on Friday. Yeah. Okay, so this will be out before Rite of Passage. Hey, folks, if you haven't checked out Rite of Passage, here's a shameless plug. Make sure you check it out. Uh, go to the Facebook event page, go to mauserpower.com. Uh, John has every year has 
incredibly unique, awesome events for this contest. And it's a lot of stuff that you know, I hear people or see people online talking about, boy, I wish somebody would do this event. Um, John does that. If you've ever said that about an event, it's probably a rite of passage. So you probably need to check that out. Yeah, and it's going to be cool. We, we do an old-time uh, – I didn't need to do another plug while we're doing this. Uh, we do an old-time grip event at Rite of Passage, and it kind of changes a little bit every year. Um, this year, the focus is going to be on um, sledgehammers, but we're going to have some other cool stuff in there. And one of those um, cool grip items is called a grippito. And um, the guys at uh, this grippito, and that's like gripito, like a torpedo, but gripito.com, <laughs> they uh, sponsored the event um, – uh, last year and they're sponsoring it again this year they're really cool people and um, they've given me um, the uh, the opportunity to give out a discount code so that's Mauser strength capital M and then everything else is lowercase um, so if you buy one of these Grappito items or anything that's um, I believe it's $99 and up off of the if that adds up in your cart and you buy it use the Mauser strength discount code you'll get a discount um, on any of their items so that's pretty cool of them so check that out, um, you know, go over there to their site, check out, um, they have a few different items and, and then their main things that Grappito, but it has some accessories and things you can get with it. Um, and it's, it's really neat and it's, it's portable and um, it kind of brings uh, wrist rollers to the next level. So uh, check that out if you can, Grappito, Mauser Strength Discount Code. Yeah, hey, and speaking of Mausers and discounts, we've got a Black Friday sale coming up. Black Friday through Cyber Monday. John's going to be dropping deals on training packages, coaching packages. I'm dropping deals on Mauser blocks. Uh, you know, if you want if you want more information on that, hit us up. Um or just follow online. We're not gonna we're not gonna spend the podcast talking about these uh talking about these awesome deals that we got coming up for Black Friday, Cyber Monday, etc. Now we're gonna talk about deadlifts. Dramatic pause there. Let's talk about some deadlifts because apparently, John, deadlifts are not an exor- uh, a back exercise and 18-inch deadlifts are not even an exercise at all. Yeah, you know, there's this epidemic out. Like the best deadlifters in the world, they have these tiny little backs. And um, <laughs> it's just, uh, it's embarrassing. It's like, you know, like when you get, when you, you know, we grew up during the, the height of bodybuilding, the modern bodybuilding anyways. And, you know, and they would, you know, you'd see all these wannabe bodybuilders and they had like little bird chests because a bodybuilder should have a big chest, you know, and these deadlifters, they have these little tiny little bird backs. And, uh, well, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and even the bodybuilders uh, of, of the nineties, you know, that we, that we follow the, the Ronnie Coleman's. And you know the the uh, Kevin Lavronis and the Jay Cutlers of of the world. You know uh, all those guys wasted their times deadlifting, thinking they were going to develop uh, tremendous backs. And you know, I mean, just go back and look at um, you know look at footage of Ronnie Coleman doing eight eight hundred pound deadlifts. Um, and look at you know the the one criticism he had during his career was that he had literally no back whatsoever. None, none. It was gone. No lats. Um, no erectors. No yeah. traps. Um, it, it was, it was just all, um, I mean, I mean, let's not even talk about a quadratus lumborum. Uh, I mean, I mean the guy, the guy seriously lacked development, uh, in, in from in the rear post. He had a uh, synthol lumborum was what he, it was all, it was his, all his entire back is, uh, <laughs> is synthol and peanuts. <laughs> hey, ain't, ain't nothing but a peanut. So <laughs> let, let, let's get into this. So the, uh, the, there was a recent rhetoric, um, um, that, that took, that took the the online world by storm, where it was claimed 
that deadlifts are not a back exercise because the uh, the glutes and hamstrings are the primary movers in that because it is a hip hinge uh, movement, and so hip extension is what you're doing during a deadlift. Now, we're not going to argue uh, that, that the glutes, uh, in, in combination in you know with the hamstrings, are responsible for hip extension because that is true. Um, and we're not going to uh, argue that those are the prime movers of a deadlift. However, when you're talking about what is going to be developed by doing the deadlift, when you're talking about uh, where the results are going to be seen and probably where you're going to have, you know, you're going to experience the soreness um, and you're going to see the results. Where do you think that's going to be most noticeable? What's well, going to be the back? <laughs> Anybody with a brain. Um, but but why why is that? Okay, so so now we're going to argue against this. We're we're, we're gonna we're just going to go against the grain here. We're going to stand against that a little bit and say that indeed you are going to develop the back um, tremendously, probably more than you're going to develop the the glutes and hammies, uh, or at least or at least as much as you'll develop the glutes and hammies. How is that possible? If the back is not, and we're talking about a lot of muscle groups when we say the back, we're talking about the lats, we're talking about the erectors, etc., um, even the traps in there. Uh, why is that going to be developed as much or more than the glutes and hammies by doing a lift in which they are not the primary movers? And as a, as a matter of fact, they're not really moving at all. Right. Um, well, you know, the... It, it's it's stabilization of, of, of the body and the bar, right? The, the back has to maintain a certain position, a certain posture. Whether that's a round back, a straight back, whatever, it has to maintain a certain posture throughout this movement. And the muscles of the back, uh, and the abdominals, and, and a bunch of other things, but the muscles of the back are responsible for maintaining that position, which allows the other things to be the prime mover. If your back was incredibly weak to the point where it couldn't hold that weight, it wouldn't matter how strong your glutes and legs and hamstrings and whatever else was because you would stand, your your ass would shoot straight up in the air and the bar would never come off the ground. <laughs> yeah. so. Which is exactly what you see happen when you watch uh, like rookie lifters fail a deadlift or, or pull a max. Watch, watch some high school kid who has no business max in his deadlift pull a max, and the first thing you see is he, he turns into a camel. Right. He, tur he turns into a, com <laughs> a, 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 a complete arch. You know, the old, uh, the old cat back. Yeah, he, he, cat, he cat backs it all to hell. Um, his, his, his legs straighten out. So it's not the... It's not the glutes that are the weak link. It's not the glutes that are that are saying, "Oh, hey, we cannot finish this lift necessarily." Um, I would say maybe in advanced lifters, maybe in uh, intermediate and advanced lifters, you may run into that somewhere that they have trouble hitting the lockout because their their glutes and hammies are gassed. But for a beginner, that's never the case. <clears throat> right? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty foolish just to even state. Um otherwise uh and even the upper back too i mean you know we're talking spinal erectors or whatever but the lats run the lats run almost down to the exact point of the uh 
the erector. So your, your whole lat is also engaged during this activity and is stabilizing the torso and your upper lats are what's helping to keep the bar close to you. If you have no lats, the bar, it'd be pretty easy for that bar to drift away. Um, so the whole back is getting worked. All you have to do is do some deadlifts. Like for the, you got two choices, right? You've never deadlifted before and you go in deadlifts and you tell me what's sore the next day. Pretty simple. It, it's pretty simple. Or let's say you deadlift all the time, but you're stupid and you forgot. So, <laughs> so, so load the bar up with something you can do about 50 reps with and do 50 reps with it and tell me what hurts the next day. Like that's a pretty good indication of what muscle groups are being worked. And something tells me your glutes might be a little sore, but your back's going to feel like you got hit by a car. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people get away from, uh, real life practicality you know we we, we want to get so scientific uh oh. w with things that we can't see the forest for the trees and you know you, i mean you can sit there and tell me that the glutes are re responsible for hip extension and that hip extension is how a deadlift occurs but what you're ignoring is the isometric contraction required of everything in the back in order for that lift to occur and the fact that the back is 90% of the time the weak link in the lift, which means it's going to be the one that benefits from doing the exercise. Yeah, I mean, this would be like saying that, you know, the squats don't work your back or something. You know, I mean, a squat obviously is going to work your back to some extent um, or or like a double overhand deadlift. The prime mover is your, your glutes and legs. But you're gonna tell me it doesn't work your grip because it's not the grip's not the prime. I don't care how hard I squeeze the bar; it's not coming off the floor. You know, it's not the prime mover of the activity, right? Right. Yeah. So, so grip grip work is is a great example of this here because let's look at uh, one of the most basic uh, grip lifts ever it, it is a double overhand axle dead, right? Well, we're talking about a deadlift. We're talking about the glutes and the hammies being the prime mover, but the hands. Are going to unless you're Mark Felix, the hands are going to be the weak link uh, in that. So your forearms are, are what's going to be sore the next day. Your forearms are and your hands are going to be what develops from doing the exercise. You're not going to develop world class glutes and hamstrings by doing a double overhand axle dead. I don't care if you do it every day, because <laughs> because right. because it's not it's not a glute and hamstring exercise, even though the hands. The forearms are in an isometric contraction during that, and that's the same principle that we're talking about with the back. The, the lats, the erectors, the traps, etc., all that stuff is in an isometric contraction and has to be, and as soon as, as, soon as its isometric strength fails, you fail the lift. Yeah, and I think, <clears throat> you know, there's another, um, another good example would be, um, <clears throat> you know, how extreme, how, it just depends how extreme you want to get with it, but like an RDL or a good morning, right? What's the prime mover? Again, you're talking about the glutes and the hammies. <laughs> but but who's doing those for that? You know, most of the time, if I'm doing a straight-legged deadlift, I'm thinking like lower back, right? I mean, I'm thinking like I'm doing this for my lower back. And uh, and if I'm doing a good morning, I like what? Do you, what's the worry about a good morning? I don't want to blow my back out. Like if it wasn't working your back, why would it blow your back out? You know what I mean? So that's the worry with a good morning. The good morning's hitting your back very hard. 
you know, I don't even think about, I think hamstrings and back. I don't really, really even think about glutes when I'm doing those activities. Obviously they're working, but that's not what I'm after. You know? Yeah. I would say generally on something like a good morning, you're not, uh, most people aren't going to be able to go heavy enough to tax the glutes. Right. You know, because, because the ham, the back and the hamstrings are going to be the limiting factor. So yeah. you can sit there and tell me that the glutes are the prime mover, but I'm not going to sit there and say that a good morning is a glute exercise. Right. I don't even think about it. It's not. I don't. It's not enough stress to on on it to think. Oh well, I'm getting this glute workout from this. You you would have to do. Uh, and you see it all the time with bodybuilders and these fit chicks on Instagram. That they like when they do good mornings. That they've done something before that to blow out the the glutes to, and then do the good morning, like some sort of pre exhausts kind of thing to uh, to get that to work. It's pretty. It's pretty common. I mean, you know, I don't know who was saying this stuff or whatever but they need to go away (laughs) (laughs) they need to go away go away immediately we are at the one hour and eight minute mark right now um what else do we have to cover in our remaining time here john what do we want to talk about we we talked we talked about the upcoming things we've got uh, i know here at uh you know in west virginia viking performance training we have power for a purpose uh usa powerlifting coming up um i know we've got a few of the a uh, few of the mauser athletes i think signed up for that ready to rock and roll for that how has uh how has preparation for the team been going for that um how how many from the crew do we got you got doing that one power for a purpose yeah there's a few I'm not sure off the top of my head. Uh, at least uh, three, I think. Very cool. Very cool. So, so you know, most of the crew does primarily strongman. It is is you know the the emphasis I would say in in the crew. Um, almost everyone <clears throat> in the crew does strongman. Yeah. Um, so you know when you when you have a powerlifting meet uh, coming up for some of these folks, you know what what changes. Well, not much, honestly, Um, because, you know, powerlifting is kind of like the base for most things. Like if you're going to be squatting and and deadlifting and pressing and stuff anyways, I mean, if if you're smart and you want to get strong, you know, that's what you're going to be doing. Um, So um, if we have enough time, we'll do like a a squat cycle um, just because if the squat goes up, everything else follows. <clears throat> and if you have enough time and, and, uh, and the person has the time commitment to do those things, then that's the best way to lead into the powerlifting meet is, is a, a nice, um, two squatting two or three time a week, uh, squat cycle. I have a bunch of those lined out that we use. And then, um, and then we, we start doing a little more, uh, bench press type stuff. I, I, I don't like the bench press, but it's necessary um, even in strongman, but it, I, it's like an assistance move for strongman, and I kind of move it more of a main uh, lift when we start gearing towards powerlifting, which is good because then you change the focus of things, and you get strong on the bench press, and then um, a lot of the time their overhead press uh, will go up, you know, right after the powerlifting meet or whatever. Um, you know, you just gotta you gotta jump around and do different things, and, and that all helps. Let's talk about the bench for a minute. How uh, you know? Do you do you tend to program bench pressing year round? Uh, do you tend to take extended breaks uh, breaks from that with athletes? Um, we've talked before about the bench press being the most probably the most dangerous uh, commonly performed exercise. You know, in 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 modern times, um, 
What, what do you think about that? What do you think about the, the, the effects on the shoulders? Are there anything that you do uh, to help mitigate the effects on the shoulders, et cetera, et cetera? Um, so <clears throat> we change the movements pretty frequently because it's an assistance work. Like there, I'm not saying like conjugate necessarily, but um, because it's not uh, all that important, it's like important that it's done and it's important that we're doing it, but it's not like, oh man, you have to be squatting because you have, you have to squat everybody. You have to squat. Um, <laughs> the bench press is like, so we, we change that a lot. So, um, and depending on the person, but like every three to four weeks, we'll just change the type of bench press it is. So then that changes the stress on the shoulder. So like if like a power lifter would be doing a normal boring ass bull, you know, bullshit bench press uh, <laughs> week after week, month after month, year after year. Well, we're changing it. Like we might do flat for um, how and for beginners, it's a little bit different for a beginner. I have to run it a little bit longer because they have to learn how to do it. Um, I think that's one of the biggest mistakes people make with like conjugate is like, Hey, you're a new guy. We're going to do conjugate. We're going to do a different movement every week and you're never going to learn anything. <laughs> so, um, so, the, you know, that's a little bit different, but for somebody that's been in the game for a minute, we'll just change it. Cause then the stress changes like that flat bench might be beating up your shoulder, but now we're doing incline or now we're doing dumbbells or now we're doing a neutral grip. And, um, and I'm also a big fan of doing, um, extended uh, range of motion like with a, a cambered bar or the Cadillac bar something along those lines um, and obviously that's done lighter uh, to, to stretch the shoulders and prepare them for that sort of thing and it's stretched in a neutral grip with a Cadillac bar or something right so that's a little bit safer um, and then I think your placement of the squat and the bench press within your week is a big determining factor on your shoulder health because um, if you're, especially if you're doing low bar squats and or if your shoulder mobility is garbage, you can stress the shit out of your shoulders on the squat. And then if you deadlift or uh, bench press the next day, um, what do you think is going to happen? I mean, it's just that's it's, good. Yeah, it, it, it's a different type of stress, but it's still a lot of stress on the shoulder. And then and then later in the week, you might have to overhead press. So your, your shoulder's getting hit three three times a week really hard. So you have to um, know when and where to place those things. So that is John's take on the bench press. Uh, my take is, bro, you got to pump your pecs, bro. Uh, you got to do 30 sets, 30 sets of 10 reps twice a week, or you're just basically pretending. So... Uh, um, two different uh, two if, different viewpoints here. If the bar ain't bending, you're just pretending. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> so, so make sure you use that uh, uh, bamboo bar to <laughs> for yes. all all thirty sets. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's good. I think we're about out of time. Um, <clears throat> would you have any closing thoughts? Yeah, I think they're going to be mad at us if we don't tell a wrestling story or something, though. You know. Um, we're, we're almost out of time, but, uh, I, I think they would be, our, our, our lovely, uh, audience here would be very, very disappointed if, uh, if we didn't talk about a wrestling story. So, um, let's go back to a show called Massacre at the Monkey, um, because the name of the venue was like the monkey or something. Um, <laughs> was it, was it the monkey bar? The monkey bar. Yeah. yeah. Th this was Hun Huntington, West Virginia, the heroin capital of the world. And... <laughs> 
And John let him know about it on the microphone too. And so, so you you are working with the the illustrious Doctor Green Thumb, uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, Johnny Twisted or something like that. Um, this is a, was this the four way death match? I think this was the four way uh, death match. Loco the clown and um, Doctor Green Thumb and uh, yeah, I don't remember. The other guy. Yeah, we'll, we'll just call him Johnny Twisted because it was some kind of juggalo gimmick, I think. Yeah. And uh, um, but anyway, so uh, Doctor Green Thumb um, was uh, his his whole uh, persona was that he was uh, apparently some sort of PhD um, or, or MD. He was some sort of MD, some sort of medical doctor uh, that liked to smoke a lot of weed. And so that that made yeah, sense. He, he wore and, green green scrubs and dyed his hair green or something. And, Smoke weed on the way to the ring, or <laughs> yeah, yeah, we. It was basically an excuse for him to get high. I and think then, I think it's based on a song, as what is a Cypress Hill song or something. Maybe maybe it was, maybe it was, yeah. and and then Loco Loco the clown, who uh, obviously that that's pretty pretty clear cut what his what his whole gimmick was. Um, yeah, and, he was a chef at a um, hibachi restaurant. Yeah, the hibachi chef uh, Loco <laughs> the clown. Yeah. Um, and, and John at the time was, was the illustrious uh, Buttercup. The homeless heroin addict, and so this was a four-way death match. And if you don't know what a death match is, that means that anything goes. They could hit each other with flaming chainsaws if they wanted to. And in this match, I think maybe they actually did. So, so walk, walk us through this. Uh, t- tell us what happened on the way uh, on the on the way in, way to the ring, ta- uh, trying to uh, work a match with these guys. Um, I think one guy got glass in his eyes during this match. Um, <laughs> just, just tell us what's going on here. Well, I came to the ring with the Colorado Corn Snake, Travis Ralston, I believe. Travis! And uh, he was my manager. Corn Snake! And I brought a barbed wire bat that we call the barbed wire biscuit to the, the ring. The barbed wire biscuit! And, um, yeah, I cut an amazing promo. It's on YouTube somewhere, uh... For, for this and really trashed uh, some people in the audience. Um, make my way to the ring. Uh, now, now, is this the one where you had the dog food? Or is that another? No, that was in... Um, that was another place. That was in, that was in, that was in uh, Huntington, but it was... Uh, who was The that? other venue. But I was wrestling Chris that time. Okay. And uh, anyway, so I, I go to the ring. A story for another time, folks. <laughs> And um, we may have we may have covered that one, but I uh, go to the ring, and then I think I was the second person introduced because they introduced all you know one at a time. We went out, start the match, um, and it was a death match, right? So we didn't stay in the ring because there was no countouts, no nothing. So we're all over the venue. Um, the only rule was there are no rules. Um, I remember I, I ended up outside of the ring, really far from the ring, with Doctor Green Thumb and. Uh, we were hitting each other with everything. <laughs> I don't even remember what all was out there. Uh, I think there might have even been like a grocery cart or something somebody got hit with. Or just a random grocery cart happened to be there. He grabs that, he hits, it with, hits him with it. He grabs a random toddler and beats him with a toddler. And, and somebody was being beat with a ladder in the ring. I remember that. Um, and then there were some light tubes, and we get back in the ring. He, he glosses over the light tube. Ah, there were some light tubes, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I think I think Dr. Green Thumb got hit in the face across the eyes with a light tube, <laughs> and he was like, 
I don't know, mangled from it or something. And uh, he ended up um, being eliminated from the ring uh, first, I think, because of that in- situation. And then, huh? Yeah. It's almost like now. Stop me if I'm wrong here, but it's almost like getting hit in the face with light tubes is a bad idea. Yeah, I think um, you know, in retrospect. Uh, <laughs> but but uh, so then, Loco the clown does something off of a ladder, like into a ton of thumbtacks or something. No, wait, 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 wait. What was the what was the poundage rating on this ladder? Because Loco was a big big man. <laughs> I'm sure it was under whatever Loco was. I, no, I, would you would I would I be overstepping my bounds if I said that Loco the clown was every bit of 350 pounds? Yeah, I think yeah, Loco the clown was a big dude, and I think at one point me and him were on the ladder, and there was like a three person diamond cutter between two ladders or something, and I think I got hit with that. And, I'm laying in the ring, and then he... Notice, guys, notice he doesn't remember a lot of this very clearly. <laughs> and if, if you're listening to what he's saying, you should understand why. Um, and then Loco did something that Johnny twisted and ended his life and sent him backing. And uh, so then it's just me and Loco in the ring. And um, uh, Loco hits... We hit each other with a bunch of light tubes, and uh, there was a stop sign... That uh, actually, I think it was it was actually uh, Green Thumb. I blasted Green Thumb in the face with a stop sign, like like a pie face, like <laughs> put the put the stop sign in my right hand, like carrying my tray like a waiter, and just blasted him in the face. With it. I mean, I hit him hard, but anyway, uh, me and Loco are in there, and, and he we're hitting each other with some light tubes. There's a bunch of thumbtacks, just you know, blood and guts, and uh, and then. Uh, I bring in the barbed wire bat, the biscuit, and and I'm I'm intent on taking it because this is real, folks. I'm trying to kill the man, and, um, <laughs> and he he gives me a quick boot to the guts, and um, you know I'd been uh, feasting on um, dog food and heroin all day, so I didn't like that, and um, he takes the bat from me and uh, hits me across the back with it, and when I turn around, he hits me across the belly with it, and then we. Fight a little bit more. He throws me into the ropes and blasts me in the head with this barbed wire bat. The barbed wire gets stuck in my hair. So when I fall, the bat comes out of his hand and the bat's flailing around. I don't know how I didn't lose some teeth or something because I'm falling down. Six, five, falling to the earth real fast with a baseball bat stuck it like helicoptering around my head. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> the barbed wire literally entangled in his fucking hair. Yeah, and there, like the, the barbs were stuck in my uh, scalp to some extent. So I fight this thing out of my hair on the ground and I get up. And by the time I get up, um, I don't know who or how or why, but somebody had handed in a light tube log cabin to Loco the Clown. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. Hang on. Go back. Hold. Stop. Wait a minute. Hold up. Circle the wagons. Explain this shit. So it's like light tubes you'd find in any kind of uh, gym or school or whatever, you know. And there's like fluorescent fucking light tubes. Yeah, and they built a log cabin, so they stacked. Them. Who, who is they? Um, I, I actually don't know. <laughs> I don't know you think this, this was, the, was uh, the, did the fans? Did the fans build this and bring it? It is possible. Um, either either Loco built it, or a fan built it, or uh, I don't remember that guy's name. The guy that ran three hundred four. Somebody built this. Thing. Oh, old Tom. Old, old Tom. Yeah. Tom. Yeah. And um, so wait a minute, how? How many light tubes? How big is this thing? How many tubes do you think it took to build a log fucking cabin like it's a fucking set of Legos? <laughs> well, I, I mean, 
it's it's close to the size of like an Olympic lifting platform at uh, a gym, maybe like a few feet short, but it's a square. It's not a rectangle, you know? And um, I don't know. I think it was probably six <clears throat> light tubes on each side. So we're talking 24 total light tubes and they were uh, electrical taped together and in, in, to a log cabin. And um, somehow they reach it up into the uh, ring. So, so what is it? So, <clears throat> so somebody like a like a freaking elementary school art project, like a macaroni art project. They went, they got these light tubes and they built a cabin with, <laughs> yes. the, with the sole purpose. They, they didn't do this to like light their house. They weren't going to plug this in. Right. They did this to bring to the show so that people could slam each other uh, into these things and, or beat, beat each other mercilessly with a giant, log cabin made of fluorescent light bulbs. Yes. Someone brought this in hopes that I would die. (laughs) (laughs) So, so if, I mean, you know, just throwing this out there, if someone would have died, would the person who made it been an accomplice to a murder? (laughs) (laughs) I guess nobody's pressing charges. (laughs) Okay. Let's move along here. Let's move along. So, uh, so I'm coming to from this bat shot and get the bat out of my hair and I come up and I turn around and there's this log cabin in the middle of the ring and Loco the Clown, who uh, is basically um, the clown, the John Leguizamo clown from, uh, the, from the Spawn movie from like 1993, and, uh, but with um, like four foot long braided braids in his hair and... Uh, so that John Leguizamo uh, grabs me and suplexes me um, into the log cabin. It destroys uh, my body, destroys 24 uh, light tubes all at once in a horrendous explosion of pops and, and poisonous gas, <laughs> whatever else is being released from these light tubes into the air. And uh, Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hang on. How does one how does one giant three hundred plus pound man grab another giant man, suplex him through the air into a log cabin made of light tubes, and not spray glass all over the first three three rows? Or did it spray glass all over the first three rows? Well, uh I'm sure that I'm sure there were some uh innocent bystanders hit with shrapnel, but uh this was if I remember correctly this wasn't at remedies so this was at at the monkey bar and i believe the uh the seating was further from the ring than normal because i can't remember all the details but i remember when i was outside of the ring in the crowd it seemed like i was really far away from the ring um i'd have to go back and look at some footage or whatever but i don't think they were real close but i'm sure i am 100 percent sure somebody took home some souvenirs yes somebody (laughs) Um, had some shrapnel at least on or about their person. Yeah. So I get suplexed through the log cabin. Twenty-four, at least twenty-four light tubes just explode. Half of the light aisle at Walmart. Yeah, explodes under my back. Now, keep in mind, um, I was a homeless uh, uh, character. Um, I mean, not character, a real, real life homeless. And um, I was wearing uh, some jeans. 
the beat up jeans, but but then my shirt, I wasn't wearing a shirt, I was wearing a garbage bag. So the, the only <laughs> Hang on folks, take a moment to appreciate this. His t his shirt was a garbage bag. Was it a hefty? No, it was a cheap uh, garbage bag. I bought it. Um, I think it was a Save a Lot, right? It was there. The, the Save a Lot brand <laughs> yes. uh, garbage bag. Okay, yeah. okay. Um, <clears throat> yeah, because I'd always stop at that Save a Lot when we would go to Huntington, and I'd buy my supplies there, and then we would go. But uh, <clears throat> so I had this cheap garbage bag, and that's what was between me and twenty-four light tubes worth of death glass. So. I go through that, and um, I'm laying in this glass. Um, and, like you do. And there were attacks everywhere from whatever he did to Johnny Twisted. right? I don't think I ever was like purposefully slammed in tacks, if I remember correctly. But my boots were full of tacks after the match. My face, hair, head, back, and body was full of tacks after this match that was just, uh, you know, Happenstance, basically. So, the, so you're rest, you're trying to wrestle a match in a war zone, is what you're telling. Yes, me. it was a death match. It was basically like a like a minefield of death. Yes. The, um, Everywhere you step, you're either in glass or thumbtacks or some motherfucker is hitting you with a stop sign or a shopping cart. Yes, the fans were in Barter Town and I was in the Thunderdome. <laughs> and <laughs> did Guy Fieri show up and go to Flavor Town? <laughs> And uh, so then <clears throat> Loco rolls over, um, you know, which is basically like a Mini Cooper rolling over onto you <laughs> and pins me in the glass. One, two, three, I'm out. And um, that's the end of the match. And then I uh, get out of the ring, make my way to the back. Um, and uh, I sit down, I remember I sit down in a chair and EMTs ran over. <laughs> <laughs> the, the EMTs were probably like ready and waiting for as as soon as you came back. So, anyways, so so the so the the log cabin was the big finale. That was the pin, right? Yeah, that like, was it. Yeah, they pin, he pinned me in the glass, which was uncomfortable because um, I'd been in glass uh, before and in, in tubes before, but usually like one or two or three. Or well, of course who hasn't. And, but this was like, there was so much stuff in the ring. It was like a mound of this stuff. And you know, when you go through the, um, log cabin, you're kind of barely hitting some of it. So some of these pieces were pretty big and, uh, Loco rolls over on me and you can just feel like all this like stuff crunching under you as this car parks on your chest to pin you. <laughs> and, um, yeah, when when a man the size of a of, of a small van <laughs> pins you on a pile of death. Uh, so anyway, I, you know, he pins me, he wins, and I do my slow exit out of the ring, and then I leave and go to the back, and there was a chair, and I sit in this chair, and uh, <clears throat> I'm trying to get this garbage bag off, and the EMTs come over and like cut it off, and then they did like, you get pissed and they cut your shirt? <laughs> I was like, damn it, you're buying me another garbage. Bag. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, I didn't get the whole box, fuckers. So then they, they were in a hurry to come over there, but then they really didn't do much. They like brushed my back with their hand and poured water on my back, and then was like, "Hey, you're good to go." And um, <laughs> that was that was the extent of the uh, emergency, uh, you know, treatment that I got. And, let, um, let me ask you a question here. 
Do you think those were real EMTs? <laughs> I mean, or do you, or do you think those were people in costume that maybe the promoter had on site to avoid getting sued? <laughs> in, in retrospect, I think they may have worked at the Spirit of Halloween and had showed up in um, cheap EMT costumes. They showed up in the naughty nurse uniforms. <laughs> yes. Um, I think, I think this for, is this is our medical staff here. This is not naughty nurse Natalia. <laughs> but. <clears throat> But yeah, so um, and and Travis was with me, and he he says something. Snake. He says something like, uh, "Are do you want to do something about your back or whatever?" And I was like, "Oh no, those guys like did whatever." And he's like, "Dude, it looks like a tiger attacked you." <laughs> <laughs> so so then <clears throat> I'm trying to like I, I just kind of ignore it, but then I have to drive back to Kaiser, West Virginia, from Huntington that night. Okay, and if you don't know where Kaiser, uh, West Virginia is in Huntington, West Virginia, uh, Huntington, West Virginia is right on the Kentucky border. Kaiser, West Virginia is on the Maryland border. So it's almost like it's almost as far away as you could possibly be and still be in West Virginia. So it's a long drive. So I drove all the way from Huntington to Kaiser that night. I mean, that's got to be three and a half hours, right? Oh, it's 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 more than that. How how far is Huntington from here? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like gonna be it's at least three hours from here. <clears throat> so you're looking at four and a half, five hours, depending if you stop. Yeah. So I drove all the way back, and this was you know it's a wrestling show. It probably didn't start till seven o'clock at night, six o'clock at night. Um, and uh, we drove so did, back. So did you did you did you lose consciousness from loss of blood uh, on on the drive back? <laughs> no, I drove the whole way back. <clears throat> got back at like two in the morning, I think I remember, and I had this uh, class at like I want to say it was at like six thirty in the morning. It was like really early. It was like the earliest class I think I've ever had in college. Yeah, and, this uh, was at Potomac State University. And um, so I didn't even I didn't take a shower. Nothing. I just literally like. <laughs> you went to class and you still have shards <laughs> of glass in your body. Yeah, and thumbtacks. I, I went to sleep. I could feel it in my back. And, was was uh, the barbed biscuit still stuck in your hair? <laughs> no. <not laughs> <at all. laughs> Did you have a baseball bat hanging maybe off? Maybe I should have just left it. Um, so, <clears throat> so yeah, I didn't shower or nothing. I I just went and went to sleep, and then I went to class the next day, and. Um, I probably, I don't know what I looked like at that point, but I went to the class the next day and I didn't shower until, um, after that class or maybe I had another one and then I showered later, but, uh, I'm going to lead into another story here, but I'm not going to tell, but we'll allude to for another time. But, um, I ended up with a piece of glass was stuck in my back for so long that it healed in and I had glass in my back, um, that didn't come out for 10 years. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, wait, you had, you had glass in your back for a decade. <laughs> yeah. Cause, uh, you know, they didn't do a good job of, they were supposed to pick it off. The MTs were like, yeah, we're going to get all this off, but they didn't. Well, yeah, and, they look, they, they looked at the, uh, they looked at the 500, uh, piece jigsaw puzzle. That was your back at that point. And they're like, we ain't fucking with this. <laughs> <laughs> and, but, but I actually the, went to the, when I did take a shower, I looked in the, the, they had like all these mirrors in the restroom or in the in the bath uh, room at Potomac State in the dorms, and I looked in the mirror and there was a like three uh, scratch deep ass scratches like across my shoulder to my spine and it did look like a tiger had attacked me. 
So Travis was entirely correct that it looked like I was mauled by a tiger. And, uh, and then there was like all these speckles and like holes in my back all over. And, um, but anyway, yeah, so a piece of glass. So I'm guessing you didn't need stitches from any of this, right? It, it, I mean, it, I may have needed them, but it didn't happen. So, so, okay, you, may, you <laughs> might have needed them, but you didn't get them. Uh, you, you, you managed to uh, not lose consciousness due to loss of blood. Now, when you're showering, uh, you know, what, what's that look like? What, what is the, what's the water looking like? Well, there was like, you know, like you know, red water, blood, you know. It, but there was also like, when I'm washing my hair, like the ta- thumbtacks um, or the, the, the pointy little pokey end is and then there's the rim uh-huh. like the the plate on top well a lot of those break you know when you land on them and stuff so there was like those little golden bronze plates from the uh thumbtacks and stuff and the little the little points and stuff were in the bottom of the shower and there's like blood running down and uh and then of course there's glass like especially when i washed my hair a bunch of glass and um not not Sorry, like, so are you are you stepping on that while you're in there or <clears throat> Probably I don't. I don't, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't I, remember, I don't remember. I know that probably not because this was um, dorm showers, and I I had a pair of um, slippers that I always wore in the showers because I didn't want people's athletes' feet. Um, so, well, were, were you an asshole? Did you leave that uh, shit in there? Or did you make sure it was cleaned out really good? That way, the next uh, jerk off that went in there didn't get sliced to pieces. I took all the uh, thumbtack things out, but the the most of the glass was not. Um, you know, for the people at home, this isn't, it's not like you drop the plate or a cup and there's these giant, this was like very fine glitter dust glass everywhere. I mean, it was like vaporized at that point. Um, and all that just went, you know, basically you just run the water, goes down the drain. But the, uh, yeah, I pulled all the tacks out and then, uh, and then, you know, there was probably still blood in there, but what can you do? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and call that the longest match of all time because, I don't think that match truly ended until that glass came out of your back ten years later. <laughs> yeah, so, but that, the, how the glass came out of my back is a great story, and that's a story for another time. A story for another time. Well, there you have it, folks. There you have the four-way death match that, uh, that, that Buttercup over here had at a show called Massacre at the Monkey. It was th- uh, 304 Wrestling, which was uh, some of the most fun shows uh, I know that I ever did. Uh, always loved loved doing the three or four shows. Um, myself and John uh, did those, and our our late friend Chris Nunn, and just lo- lots of great folks down there. Lo- Loco was a blast. Uh, Brian Masters, Billy Masters, those guys were a blast. Just a lot of good folks down there. A guy named Sean Casey, uh, Sean Casey, um, would come in, and and uh, man, we just we had a lot of good freaking times at uh, at three or four wrestling. Yeah, I agree. So that puts us way over the time limit. Um, so we're, we're going to have to bounce. Um, this has been John the Viking Mauser with Paul the Titless Centaur Mauser. Damn it! <laughs> Get strong or die.